0: Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern Podcast. My name is Paul Scott Shernitsky. I am your host, and I am joined by my co-host, the Reverend Dr. A.P. Anna Pinkney. straight
1: Oh, Paul Scott, you ready to hang on? We got a lot going on.
0: Yeah, my, always my first question is, Anna, what's going on at the church this week?
1: Well... Big, big happenings, you're going to get a new podcast guest slash co-host slash associate pastor for this congregation.
0: Bum, bum, bum.
1: Yes. Um, We are calling a congregational meeting for Sunday, July 23rd, immediately after our worship service, so anywhere from about 10.50 to 11.10. Um, We will be hearing the report from the Associate Pastor Nominating Committee on voting on their recommendation, which means we have an associate pastor. Um, And that might have seemed a little confusing. Do you want to hear more about the process?
0: Yeah. How does it work? I have no idea.
1: Well we elect an, when we have a pastoral opening for a for a congregational minister for like like I am the pastor, head of staff. This would be for an associate pastor. That is a congregational action. The session doesn't hire anybody for that. The congregation is responsible for that. So a nominating committee was elected by the congregation. They have spent the last year working on this process, creating a resume, um, looking at applicants, um, interviewing applicants, and they have an applicant that they have met with several times, came here in person to interview. That um, candidate also met with a subcommittee of our presbytery to get approval. And all of that happened beautifully, wonderfully, excellently, which means we are now authorized to call a congregational meeting and hear about this candidate and vote on their call to serve this congregation.
0: Uh, Are you excited?
1: I am. Sorry, was that not clear? Yes. (laughs) Yes, very exciting. And a lot of people are asking, well, who is it? Can we know? Uh, This is a very confidential process. And there are lots of reasons for that. But they are currently serving another congregation. And it would not be fair or kind for us to announce that we have called this person when their congregation does not yet know. And because you don't typically tell your current call you are leaving until you actually have a new call, that will not happen until after our congregational meeting. And so we keep everything confidential. If you come to the meeting, it'll be in person in the sanctuary. We are going to have a Zoom option. Catherine Campbell is going to be bringing her laptop into the sanctuary. It's not perfect, but it's the best we can do. Hybrid is really difficult, but the Zoom will be sent on the Sunday morning email. And then after worship, we'll have brochures that introduce the candidate. The associate pastor nominating committee will share a little bit about the process and what made them believe, their prayers, the Holy Spirit, how they were led to understand this is our candidate. Um, And then the congregation will vote. And then after that, because typically these things go very, very well, um, we have a video from our new associate pastor that a video of welcome to say hello and that they can't wait to get here.
0: Cool. Um, Then, assuming that all goes as expected, Mm -hmm. um, when does the associate pastor start?
1: We think it'll be about the 1st of September. Um, Again, you can't put your house on the market until you tell your church that you are moving. So you can't buy a house until you have sold your house. So there are all these details that it's a little bit of an art, but we anticipate they are going to be moving here sometime in the last couple weeks of August, and they are hoping to be in the office around the 1st of September. But more details to come.
0: Well, to whoever it may be, just uh I hope they're ready. We put uh expensive <laughs> microphones in front of them a lot, uh point a lot of um four K um cameras at their face all the time.
1: Um it's ai g I'm I'm really excited. But Paul Scott, that's not all oh, that's going on at the show. More there, tell us more. There is more. <laughs> This past week, we also had lots of meetings with a personnel subcommittee. We hired a new director of communications and a new office administrator. So it's been, there, there's a lot happening this week.
0: And just a continuation of last week's podcast, Spanky the Cat went returned to Baxter's, yes. the, the swanky jazz club downtown New Bern. Uh, this is the cat that hangs out around the church. Yes, He's well cared for. He lives close by. But he went back to Baxter's, got inside, Uh and allegedly was on the jazz stage where there's a grand piano up there, was on the stage. And the owners of Baxter's had to call his owners at 1030 at night (laughs) and have his owners come pick up Spanky from Baxter's.
1: And Spanky has also been to MJ's.
0: All the way, that's even farther.
1: I know, I know. I have a child who works downtown at night and has been giving me spanky updates. Apparently there's quite a bit of conversation about the cat.
0: Spanky the cat. Well, you heard it here first.
1: So yes, so director of communications, office administrator. Office administrator is going to start next week with some limited hours. Our church office hours are changing. It's now going to be nine to three, Monday through Thursday and Friday, nine to one. Director of communications, fully remote.
0: This is not ordinary time, okay, people?
1: Fair, fair. Not ordinary time.
0: Extraordinary time. (laughs)
1: and it's really fun and exciting. I so so I know we need to talk about heaven and hell um but pretty much we've been in heaven this week.
0: That's right. All right. Well, everyone, <laughs> we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good segue. It's about heaven and hell another It is about heaven and tricky hell. Tricky thing you've decided to cover during the summer.
1: Yes, in April, this is a great idea to think about all these big 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 topics.
0: Yeah, the summer it's just it's kind of it's it's a lot of work for you. Yes.
1: It is, but I and it's I'm really enjoying being able to delve in, into some things that um, don't always happen during the year. So, so it's good.
0: All right. Well, we hope you have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you next week. It might be another weird on location podcast because I'm going to be uh, in Austin, Texas with Apple education for a little bit. So, but there'll be something we'll put out something.
1: Maybe Apple has a concept where you can talk to each other and see each other on screen
0: (laughs) yes like like face (laughs) we could see faces we could spend time looking at each other's faces
1: yes we could spend time Uh, we could call it
0: facetime okay good idea (laughs) you're right i'm probably there's probably equipment everywhere to do the (laughs) podcast remotely at apple headquarters all right we hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next week
1: thank you paul scott let us pray Almighty God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, in the reading of your word, may we be given light to see. May your word rest in our hearts and minds, and in so doing, transform us into your faithful people. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Our scripture readings for today come from the Gospel of John and Matthew, and I'm adding a scripture reading. The first reading will be in the Gospel of John. We are going to start in chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. John 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And from John, chapter 14, the first seven verses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And from Matthew chapter 5, the 29th verse. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we are in the seventh week of our sermon series titled Holy Curiosity. Sermons where I invited you to share what questions you have And I would attempt to bring a little bit of biblical and theological understanding to those questions. Today, I've combined several questions. I got several questions along the line of wanting to know more about heaven. What will it be like? And who gets to be there? And what will happen if you don't believe in Jesus? There were also questions, I think, closely related to that one, also about hell. Is hell real? Do people who sin go there? Do people who are not Christian go there? So as we start, I want to affirm that, well, first, what may be very obvious, I do not have definitive answers for these questions. What I have are some maybe some conversation starters. These are big questions, but I want all those who have wondered about them to know these are not strange questions or unusual questions. These are questions that people have been asking throughout time. In fact, these are the questions that many people believe got it all started. Who are we? Why are we here? Is there more than this? The questions that began exploration towards God. Because ideas about heaven and, well, hell or not heaven are ideas about which all kinds of people are interested. And for us, people of faith, they are real. That heaven is real is not something new. We talk about it every week. It's right there in the Apostles' Creed, one of the creeds we say very frequently, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It's also right there in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But after this belief in heaven, not much else is absolutely definitively clear. And that's in part because the idea of heaven can mean so many different things. It can mean geographic space, the atmosphere or space. When we talk about the God who made heavens and earth, often that's a spatial understanding When the psalmist writes about the waters above the heavens, they're not talking about a spiritual destination. The psalmist is talking about what is above our Earth's atmosphere, what is above the sky that we can see. But heaven can also mean a spiritual location, what happens when we die. It can mean the kingdom of heaven, a place where God is made manifest right here in our midst. Heaven can be all of these things. It can be a reward, a realization, it can be an escape. And more often than not, what you believe about heaven is tied to how you've grown up and what you've heard. It's connected to understandings you've had since childhood, deeply held beliefs, and grief. So often our beliefs about heaven are shaped by grief and missing, desperately loved ones who are no longer here. And that means that what we need to know about heaven is difficult to untangle. It's difficult because there are so many different threads and they are woven together in our lives in different ways. And it can be difficult to separate them and see them independently. It's also true because what we believe about heaven is often so heavily influenced by what we've seen and read and heard in the world that becomes our own reality. I remember that in a church I served several churches ago, I was teaching a class on the Bible and on the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and we got to a class where we were talking about Moses. And when we got to Moses' childhood, after he'd been rescued from the river by Pharaoh's daughter, I stated that we didn't know much more about Moses' childhood after that. One of my members got very upset about this. And she said, you're absolutely wrong. We do know about Moses's childhood. We know that Pharaoh's daughter made sure all of his needs were educationally and physically, that all of those needs were met. And she kept talking about all that Pharaoh's daughter had done for Moses. And it took me a little while, but finally I realized that she wasn't talking about what she had learned in the Bible. She was talking about what she learned in Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments. (laughs) But it had become true for her. It had become as true as anything she'd ever read. The two had become mixed and intertwined in her world, and they were one and the same. And the same is true for us. We take everything we see and we hear and we experience, and it becomes our own reality as true as if we had experienced it ourselves. And that means that when we talk about heaven, the threads can be difficult to untangle. I offer you one word of care and caution. Talking about these things can often trigger hard, big emotions. If they do for you, be gentle with yourself today. But I do believe this is a topic worth exploring, and we can start with what the Bible says about heaven. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the heavens were the realm of God, not a place for humans in this life or after death. Death was Sheol, the place where you went after you died. Sheol was not a negative judgment. It was simply what happened to everyone. It was not until after the Greeks came on the scene with their many and varied views of the afterlife that these new understandings began to show up in writings and eventually in the New Testament. And the same is somewhat true for our idea of hell. Now, I'll say I'm going to talk more about heaven in this sermon, but often what I'm saying about heaven extends to our understandings of hell too. Our understanding of hell, the circles of hell, comes from more modern understandings, more modern literature. For example, our passage from Matthew that refers to hell is not referring to a spiritual realm, although it's often interpreted that way. Originally, the word there used for hell referred to a dump that was outside of town where animals who had died were left. It was awful. And if you were going to be sent to that hell, it was miserable. So it was a bad thing, but it was not a spiritual place. It was a physical place. And when we are told that Jesus descended into hell, when we recite that in the Apostles' Creed, we're not being told that he was condemned, that he was sent away to a hell place, but according to our confessions, that he died suffering every aspect of human pain and isolation that could ever be suffered. Theologian Christopher Morse has written a book about our understanding of heaven. And our understanding of heaven is a place where we go after this life. And he writes, remarkably few of the approximately 675 instances of the term found in the Bible may be said to be about the life that happens after death. In such testimony, heaven neither begins nor ends with death. The automatic tendency to suppose that when we hear the word heaven, that the subject is either the sky or the hereafter, only shows how much our own thinking has been conformed to the world. Heaven, he writes, is less about the place we go than one that comes to us, less about a post-mortem afterlife than about life here and now, less about a timeless static state than about a timely taking place. Knowing this, we also need to understand what theologian Shirley Guthrie reminds us of, that when the Bible talks about heaven, we should not take it literally, because we are being invited to understand it beautifully and metaphorically. He writes, when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, he used a word that was originally a Persian word for a nobleman's park or garden the most beautiful place anyone in the ancient world could imagine. If we want to understand what heaven is like, we will not investigate a rich man's property in what the ancient Near East was like. We'll try to imagine what it must be like to be with Jesus. Paul pictures Christ coming with the sound of God's trumpet. Paul's point is sure, not that God will blow a big God-sized horn that great joy, great victory is coming. When Jesus mentions in my house there are many dwelling places and John, a phrase that has led many of us to think that heaven is like winning some kind of lottery with mansions on every corner, he's not speaking about houses as buildings. He's speaking about places to abide, our heart and our soul. Sometimes these metaphors can create confusion. That's one of the reasons why I always try and avoid euphemisms when I'm talking about death. You know, phrases like lost or past or transitioned or no longer with us. Instead, I frequently try and speak the truth as best we can, as clearly as we can. When we talk about someone, we talk about that they have died. For that's the truest understanding we have. And we don't want to get lost in metaphor or euphemism. And that's a similar approach to the one that's taken in the historical confessions of the Presbyterian church. For they remind us that Jesus did speak about a bodily resurrection. A bodily resurrection that will happen someday. Just as Jesus was resurrected at Easter. Not just spiritually, but resurrected physically. As one study on heaven says, the Bible tells us Jesus was raised from the dead and that the dead will be raised. But it does not tell us the mechanics. And therein is the challenge. We know these things, we believe, we trust these things. We do not know how exactly they will happen. In many cases, we have to let the mystery be and lean into that mystery. And so having heard all of this about heaven, which might leave you more confused than clarifying anything. Will heaven be a place where we get to have that great reunion? That great reunion about which so many of us dream? Will it be like the movie Coco? A great celebration, a gathering of all those we have loved and missed? Well, the answer is I don't know. The Bible does not tell us so. But that does not mean it is not true. What we are told is that there will be a time when all tears will be wiped from our eyes, that there is no mourning or no crying, no pain. And that's good enough for me. Because when I think about when I have been happiest in my life, the most without pain, it's being surrounded by family and those I love and who love me. And that is what I think about when I think about heaven, that kind of love and assurance Being able to trust and be fully me. That's good enough for me. So now, what do we know about heaven? We know that most often in the Bible, when they talk about heaven, they're referring to something that can happen in the here and now. Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins, and if you know about it, you likely know about it more for the hoopla that came after that book, when he said that hell may not really exist, but he said this about heaven in his book. Sometimes when Jesus used the word heaven, he was simply referring to God, using the word as a substitute for the name of God. I love that, God is heaven. Second, sometimes when Jesus spoke of heaven, he was referring to the future coming together of heaven and earth and what he and his contemporaries called life in the ages to come. And then, third, and this is where things get really interesting, Bell writes when Jesus talked about heaven, he was talking about our present, eternal, intense, real experiences of joy, peace, and love in this life, this side of death, and the ages to come. Heaven for Jesus wasn't just someday, it was present reality. And so Jesus blurs the lines, inviting the rich man and us in the merging of heaven and earth, a future and the present, here and now. And to say that again, eternal life is less about the kind of time that starts when we die and more about a quality or vitality of life that is lived now in connection with God and continues. Heaven is often about what is here now just as much as it is about what is ahead And we know that whatever this is, it's what we do together. Shirley Guthrie again. Heaven is an eternal life of genuine, completely free realization of our humanity in a new heaven, and a new earth, lived for us by Jesus Christ, true God and true human being, and promised and worked in us by God's renewing, life-giving Holy Spirit, It is the eternal life of the self-fulfillment that comes in loving, praising, and serving God and living in peace with our fellow human beings, coming to rest or at peace with your true selves and being in community. What is heaven? It's like the parable of the long spoons found in writings many centuries old. And maybe you've heard this before because it's a story that has parallels in many religions and traditions about a man who inquired about the secret to happiness and eternal life. And the story goes that God showed the man two doors, and inside the first one, in the middle of the room, there was a large round table with a large pot of stew. It smelled delicious, and it made the man's mouth water. But the people sitting around the table were thin and sickly. They appeared to be starving. They were holding spoons with very long handles. And each one of them found it impossible to reach into the stew and take a spoonful because the handle was longer than their arms. They could not get the spoons back to their mouths. God then showed the man a second door. And behind that door, the room at first glance looked exactly the same. There was a large round table with a large pot of stew that smelled delicious. It made the man's mouth water. And here, the people had the same long handled spoons, but they were well nourished and plump, laughing and talking, and they were eating easily they were eating with the long-handled spoons and had learned the secret. You had to feed one another. Whatever heaven is, it is what we learn here about how to care for one another, how to feed one another, how to love one another. For we know from text that heaven is just as much about what is ahead as it is here and right now. And we also know that heaven We believe that heaven is so much bigger than anything we can imagine. In one of our readings from today, for today, Jesus does something that happens several times throughout the Gospels and in the Bible. Jesus speaks of sheep that we do not know. I have flocks that you do not know, and they are mine. In Matthew 25, we're told that the nations will be gathered before God in the final days, not just the believers, but all of the people. So when we think of heaven, we are reminded in the Bible that God's grace and love are bigger than we can imagine, and that we stand in the final days only by God's grace. Our task is not to decide who will be where. Our task is to love and welcome Do other people who do not believe in Jesus go to heaven? I don't know. But I hope so. I hope that the love of our God is so much bigger than anything I can imagine that it goes beyond what I can understand. For I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior. It is the only way I know how to live and believe in this world, but I also believe God is bigger. God is more wonderful than anything my mind or heart can contain. And so it is with heaven. I believe this is a particularly important question, a question I get throughout time, not just for this series, but was asked specifically for this series. What happens to people who die by suicide? a group that includes my own uncle. I believe God's grace is bigger than any pain we experience at the end of our lives. It surrounds us, it envelops us, and it is bigger than we can imagine. There is a saying that some people will not be happy in heaven unless they know who isn't going to be there. I don't think that matches what we're told in Scripture. (laughs) I think we're told in Scripture that God will handle these things. It is our task to love and welcome. And if we are uncomfortable about others receiving the same grace we have received, for none of us are worthy. It says far more about us than it does about God. For again, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. It is who I am right down to my DNA. But I also believe that God is bigger than what I can comprehend or contain. And for that, I give thanks to God. Heaven, God, it's so much bigger than what we can imagine. But let us also know it's also smaller than we can imagine. In our passage from John today, when Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, this is not an abstract general pronouncement. It's also a reminder that God's love is not only universal, it is personal. In a funeral sermon for his friend and colleague, Professor Patrick Miller said, Heaven is a symbol for the conviction that our final destiny is in God's care. What matters in all of this is the Christian claim, and I believe it to be true with all of my heart, that we are forever held in the arms of God. That is true before we were born. That will be true after we have died and our bodies have disappeared. God completes our life beyond this life, whether we die young or old, have suffered or lived well. Underneath now and forever are the everlasting arms, and they will keep us, where I hope and believe I will be and you will be too. And maybe for all of the details and the nuances and the metaphors of this sermon, this is what we really need to know. Maybe this is the best way to end a sermon that raises far more questions than it provides answers, with a reminder that the best way for us to be faithful and to understand heaven is to lean, to lean on one another, to lean on faith, to lean on God, to lean and trust. The Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms, the hymn goes. What a blessedness. What peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in the pilgrim way. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. What what have I to dread? What have I to fear? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Friends, know that wherever you go and whatever you do, you belong to God. You are God's beloved children. Know that God goes before you to guide you, beside you as your friend, beneath you to support you, behind you to protect you, and above you to give you vision and courage and hope. If you will remember that, then the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding will be with you too. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.